0: I'm standing on a shore at three o'clock in the morning and I'm gonna be swimming for 14 hours, 25 miles. I cannot think about the strokes that I'm going to take in 10 hours. I just think about the strokes I'm gonna take right now. I'm, I'm thinking about that first duck underneath the waves in the pitch black dark and those first few strokes. And when I have a low point later in the day or something, my wife will go, Just take 10 more strokes. Just keep moving in that direction, and then we'll revisit it.
1: Welcome to the Live the Path Podcast, where we meet real people leading unreal lives. When I first met Bruckner Chase, we were both living in a posh Memphis, Tennessee suburb and attending a college prep school. And then Bruckner decided to go to Australia as a foreign exchange student. The next time I caught up with Bruckner, he had done several Ironman triathlons and other extreme endurance events, and his life had taken a very different direction. Full triathlons, ultra-distance, open-water swimming events, and on-land ultra-marathons. Over the past couple of decades, Bruckner's founded the Ocean Positive Foundation and the Ocean City Swim Club. He teaches lifeguarding and ocean safety skills all over the world, including American Samoa. The last time I caught up with Bruckner, he'd just come out of the ocean off the coast of New Jersey where he was training about 50 people how to paddleboard safely. I think you'll find his story instructive, compelling, and inspiring if you're trying to choose
0: your own life path.
1: I hope you enjoy my conversation with Bruckner Chase. Hello there, Bruckner. How are you doing this morning?
0: doing great. It is fantastic to talk to you for this.
1: So excited here as well. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I know that uh, you, you have a thousand other things you could be doing right now. So I thank you. I think that this interview hopefully will be something that will help a lot of people listening. I, I just want to start by saying we're going to cover your your professional and personal achievements in the introduction, and they're truly extraordinary I've been following you for a long time. And we'll place a link to, to your website in the episode notes below so that people can check it out for themselves. But, you know, the striking thing about you, Bruckner, and we've, we periodically get back in touch, is that you're basically the same guy that I knew when we were 13.
0: I, I'd i like to think so. You know, I think uh, we both feel a little bit older, a little bit more weathered, but I, I still am that same uncomfortable, awkward 12-year-old as I was when we first met.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think it, the core of Bruckner stayed the same. And that's really the beautiful thing, is that uh, all of what you've accomplished and the fame that you've accomplished to some degree has really not changed you. And I, I love that about um, about you. But I, I want to get right to the heart of the matter. This podcast is called Live the Path, and it's it's to highlight people that consciously, intentionally choose their path in life and and really for the purpose of inspiring others to do the same. So when I... Think of someone who is living this out-of-the-box life, at least it seems from the outside. You're one of the few people that immediately come to mind. So we'll get we'll get right right to it. Um the first question that always occurs to me is how do you do it? You know, how did you create this life? And if you could comment on that and whether you think you chose your life path or maybe it chose you.
0: I, I think it's it's a question I I often get because I think that we see The outside pieces of someone's life and think, wow, you know, I, I want to do that. Or how did they get to that point? And I think with me, I've always, I mean, as you and I both know, back my sophomore, junior year of high school, my junior year of high school, I actually spent abroad in Australia, you know, back in a day when, you know, there was an exchange program and I, I, I left high school for a year and, and lived in another country pretty much by myself with, with those families. And I think that that probably was the first time that I really made a choice that I don't know if what I'm doing right now is really who I am or is really going to take me to where I want to be. And I need to change something. I need to see something through a different perspective or through a different lens. And when I found out about this exchange program and the opportunity to do it, I pursued it with just a single focus. I mean, it was just my singular focus for a year. And I think that, so that was what, age 16, that I completely left everything that was familiar to me and said, what else is out there? And that singular experience has probably responsible for shaping everything else I've ever done. And it's been a matter of kind of, I don't know if I would say I was always pursuing passions, but I was always pursuing what I thought was right, both for me and the community that was important to me. And I think it was rather than maybe saying a passion driven life, which I'm sure was kind of part of it, it was kind of a purpose driven life.
1: Ah, that's a very important distinction. I'm actually not a big believer in people that say live your passion because. I think you can achieve purpose and meaning with a number of different paths. And I will definitely attest to the fact that you were changed or maybe you just kind of maybe blossomed after that year because you, when you came back, things were noticeably different and, and I knew that you'd taken a turn in a, in a different direction. Um, so you're, that, that's very a, a very good point that, that that year really changed you. And, um, you know, so the the next thing that comes up for me is, you actually articulated it beautifully. When you came back, all of a sudden things were different. You know, you things you were came back into the, the world that you came from didn't really make sense anymore. So okay. a lot of, a lot of us live there in that, that spot where the world doesn't make sense, but we doubt that we have the, the strength, the courage, the wherewithal, just a general sense of self doubt. Even we know that we're not living the life that we're meant to self doubt often will keep us, uh, in that comfort zone. Um, and and personally, you know, I I got on a track that I couldn't get off of for 30 years. So I was a medical doctor. And mm-hmm. once you get far out on a, on a path, even when it's not the right one, it's very tough to make a change because you always have that nagging sensation that if I change, I'm going to lose things. I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose status. <laughs> so how do you get past that self-doubt, Bruckner? Can you speak to that?
0: Yeah, I, I think Because as I've gotten older, I agree with you, you know, where you read a lot of, you know, Hallmark card quotes about live your passion. And I'm like, that's that's a great sentiment, but what does that really look like in reality? And I think that as we get older, we have obligations. We have people we care for. We have kids. We have a wife. We have a commitment to a community that really kind of draws us to be of service or do certain things that are here. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing to feel like I can't go out and just live in a monastery because I've made these commitments to this life. Yet yet recognizing that the way we interact with those commitments and the way we interact with this life that we've kind of built around us can be both freeing and or a burden, depending on our perspective. So not everyone, you know, if if someone has, you know, kids and family and job and a commitment to community, you know, they may, it it just, it may not be realistic to go, well, I'm going to go off and live in another country. I'm going to go do this. I mean, they could do that, choose that, but it, it may not be something that they can live with literally. Uh, or figuratively, after that fact. And I think that I've noticed little things. I mean, there have been big moments in my life where it was a really scary change. I can remember leaving a job that was just not right and going, I've got to change this. And then dealing with the repercussions of that choice for for some time, but recognizing that if I stay here, I'm going to be suffering. And often that suffering that I was feeling is because I was clinging to something that I thought I needed or that I thought had to be a certain way and letting go and recognizing that clinging to something that was how I thought it should be or what I thought I needed was causing me to be miserable in the situation. And it may take some time to navigate out of that. Like you described, you know, 30 years in the medical profession and you've begun finding a a way to move away from that to more of this other purpose, you know, it it isn't necessarily going to be overnight. There's a lot of stuff that I've worked towards that has taken years to really get to a certain point where it's like, this is what I can now do. And it's a a matter of being, being patient and rolling with, I'm on this path. These little moments are kind of scary, but once I get past that scary moment, I'll feel relief or I'll feel like, yeah, that was, that was right. I think if I were to stay afraid the whole time and not have any sort of moment of peace or awakening, then I'd start to think, well, maybe this isn't quite the right way that I should be moving.
1: Hmm. So those little moments that you're describing, I think that makes, that makes a lot of sense because the big payoff may not be for another couple of decades, but you, you're What you're saying is that you've got this huge fear that you're dealing with, but as you move closer towards your path, you get these little hints that you're doing the right thing. Am I describing it?
0: Yeah, I, I think that would be, I think that'd be about right. That, uh, you know, there's the fear of the overall change, but then there's, you know, perhaps a fear or, or hesitancy in just the little first steps, like handing in that letter that says, I need to, to leave this job or sitting down with someone and going, we need to end this relationship. And that might be an employer. Or it might be a partner, might be a friend. So there's going to be little things that are just difficult. I don't know if it's necessarily afraid, but, but difficult, uncomfortable. And I think that recognizing that sometimes landing on the purpose that you're supposed to be on isn't going to be comfortable all the time. Mm. That suffering and discomfort is a fact of life, but we recognize it for what it is. And we move through that to find a kind of a greater peace or fulfillment.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's, I I would agree (laughs) with you very much on that. In fact, I I think comfort is an enemy in a lot of people's lives. Seeking comfort is, Often the opposite of the direction you should be heading um, were the, mm-hmm. did did you have a clear picture of where you were headed, or did you not know exactly what quitting your job <clears throat> was going to lead to
0: i I never had i can't remember ever having a clear path that really said this is what you're going to end up doing like if I just look at the skill set I have and the professional stuff that i do now there wasn't a path to that it kind of where i am now kind of was a synthesis or an accumulation of all these experiences that now people from the outside going oh you're involved in so much and i'm like yeah it can seem that way from the outside but in my head it's all this one singular mission i'm very focused on ocean and community issues and everything I do really feeds that mission. And there might be other like, pieces of it or trappings of it that, that look very, very different or, or are very, um, the actions around them are very different, but the mission is, is kind of all the same. And I think that I was more sensitive to perhaps the feelings along the path and how much resistance there may have been and letting that guide me. I've been an endurance athlete since I, for a very, very long time and usually found myself in in more extreme endurance events. And so I was always uncomfortable. You know, running for 26 hours is often uncomfortable. Um, But that discomfort didn't mean I stopped moving towards the finish line that was defined in that event. I I kept moving forward. I kept on that path recognizing that there might be a little discomfort along the way. Um, But I've also been in other events as a analogy for life where I'm like, this is uncomfortable, but this doesn't feel right. This is not where I should be. This is not what I should be doing. And i i walked away. I go, we're done. Um, because something just, it just didn't feel right. It just wasn't me. And I walked away and and in hindsight, absolutely the right decision. Hmm. And I think that I've learned to be really sensitive to where do I, where does this fit in my purpose and my mission? And is it, is it right? Because sometimes the discomfort is, it's not just like, Oh, my feet hurt or my legs hurt or, I feel a little bit awkward. It's something deeper, and it, I'm having a hard time articulating it. But I think I'm definitely someone who kind of goes by feel, and I I pay attention to subtleties around me. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's actually uh-huh. a very important point. Is it good discomfort or bad discomfort? You know, because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you you could expose yourself to suffering, and, and it's not getting you any closer to your purpose. But what do you do to distinguish those two? I, I know that you meditate. Is that the skill that you would say? comes in handy?
0: Yes, absolutely. So I, I have a a very uh, committed meditation practice that's really become extremely important to managing a lot of stuff in the last few years. But I also think that even prior to having that mindfulness meditation, guided mindfulness meditation practice, I was always kind of prone to that sort of internal situational awareness and recognizing where I am in the environment around me and that kind of non-emotional response to what's going on around me right now, it's, it's like this. And, uh, my meditation teacher phrase I hear a often is just be uncomfortable. You know, if you're sitting for 30 minutes or an hour, it's going to be uncomfortable. Just be uncomfortable, be, be in that. And I think that, that, that you're right. That really has, uh, Help kind of give me a tool set to do some of the things I, I've wanted to do. And that's not just physical endurance challenges. That's just navigating emotionally or mentally draining or, or challenging experiences as well in, in a professional life.
1: Hmm. Right, we're getting to some very, very important topics. And, and I love what you're saying. That And That inner awareness is absolutely key. Otherwise, you're driving in the dark with no headlights. Um, And many of us can live an entire life like that, where we're just going from thing to thing and not really listening to what our inner consciousness or God or whatever you want to call that, that presence that tells us this is right. This is not right.
0: Here's another analogy. I mean, one of the things that I do is I, I work as an ocean lifeguard and I, I train ocean lifeguards and so I've, I've been in experiences where I've, you know, gone into the ocean to save someone's life. And that experience, so just look at these two people in the exact same environment. For me, it's uncomfortable. You know, it's, it's challenging. You know, the waves and the surf, it's uncomfortable, it's challenging. But I'm trained and prepared for that. For the person I'm rescuing, who's in exactly the same physical element is terrified and possibly losing his life. Hmm. I mean, that's, so we're both in the same spot in the same surf in the same water in the same waves. For me, it's uncomfortable, but I'm trained to do something and perform something in that setting for that other person that's in it. His life is in danger. It is life threatening and he's terrified and he wasn't prepared for it. It is bigger than what he was prepared for. Yeah. And I think that maybe that's a, a helpful analogy that how we respond to what's going on around us, are we prepared for that challenging experience? And what do we do when we're in it?
1: That is a amazing point. And actually, you read my mind because the very next thing I was going to bring up was, um, you've heard of Alex Honnold, the the free climber. Mm -hmm. And there was, there was a point in that movie free solo that, and it was, it was unbearably tense for me to watch that because I'm, you know, I grew up in a family where every minute they were telling us, you're going to get hurt doing this. You're going to get hurt doing that. So that movie was, was very uncomfortable to watch, but there was this one point, one quote that he had in there. He was describing when he's on the side of El Capitan, looking down on this ledge that was six inches deep And he said he could feel that fear welling up inside him. And he made the conscious effort at that point and to tamp that down before it got to the point where he couldn't control it. Because then he knew that would mean death if that happened. And so what you're describing, that description, that analogy you gave about you in the water and someone drowning in the water, um, obviously preparation and skill is a huge part of that. So you have to have the knowledge and the preparation and skill to to cope with those conditions or you're going to lose from the very beginning. But even that someone like you who knows what to do and is prepared and is very experienced, it seems like, like Alex Honnold's example, you know, you, if you don't get control of that reptile brain before it's too late, even you would probably be terrified beyond the point of control, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. I would, I've seen uh free solo and I you know parts that also resonated with me. My thing is definitely not being 2000 feet above the ground without a rope. Um that would be abject terror for me. But I can identify with with what you're describing he said in that there have been countless experiences where I've been in the ocean or I've been trying to navigate back into beach or navigate out through, you know, surf or, you know, seeing a shark underneath me and go, okay, I can, I can feel, I'm thinking, especially this, the shark experience, I can, I can experience fear and terror really starting to come up. Like it is there. That is fear. That is terror. And, I recognize those as feelings and that that's what they are. Those are our feelings and a response to the situation. Sometimes I need to respond to that fear by going, I need to change something. And I would suggest that as he was preparing for El Cap, there were times where he felt fear or something felt right. And it's like, today's not the day to push. Today's the day to go back down. Like something's not right. And there are times where I've had that where it's like, okay, I'm feeling afraid, where is this coming from? What is the source of this feeling? This is just a feeling. What is the source of this? Is this telling me something that I need to move in a different direction or do something differently, but recognizing it just as fear and not letting the fear make the decision for me, but relying on my training, my experience my non-judgmental mind to decide what to do next.
1: Ah, excellent. And I need to make the point that we're we're talking about physical bodily danger um in both your ocean example and Alex Honold. but I don't <clears> I don't know if you read uh Tolle, The Power of Now was a book I read a while back, but he <laughs> he describes when he was he's a meditation leader, um he's um written several books, but he he describes, um, one time when he was in the depths of depression, laying awake in bed in the middle of the night and feeling like he, he was circling down this black vortex that was kind of sucking his body and soul and his, his being down into it and was describing the terror of that. So that I've felt before. And uh, I usually don't put myself in physically physical danger like like you do or like annexonal does but i think you don't have to necessarily do that to feel that sense of terror um and that that sense of you know what is all of this what's holding me up you know what can happen the next minute that's so i just wanted to for the audience to to say that because these things that bruckner is talking about are um you know we, you or i may never be on a paddleboard in the middle of the ocean in ice cold water but we do encounter life situations that can be terrifying and these.
0: The- yeah. And I would suggest that, I mean, really the, you know, I often tell stories about the physical experiences, but what Eckhart was talking about and what I've experienced as well is there have been equally fearful or, or scary experiences just in navigating a professional or uh, land career. And I think, one of the things I have talked about with some people recently is this imposter syndrome. And I often am in a situation where I'm speaking about something. I, I, spend some time on camera doing educational content. I work with, with some government agencies and, and private sector partners. And, you know, so I'm having to stand up and go, this is what you need to do. This is what needs to happen. Or, um, I've spent some time in, in other countries and environments that are completely new and foreign to me and having to speak as the expert on something or having to talk about something that, and often I'm like, who am I to say this? Like, am I, am I the right person for this? And that sometimes can be as terrifying as anything I've had out in the ocean. You know, when, you're, when your life's work or, or the stuff that you've been building towards is now right in front of you And now I'm standing up and going, this is what we need to do. This is important. And I will tell you that that has, that is an equal level of terror, fear inducing experience as looking at a huge wave about to crush me.
1: Hmm. Wow. Yep. I a hundred percent agree. I, I, I have, I can say I have a similar experience to relate and that is I've, done eye surgery now for you know, 26, 27 years. And I'm extremely confident in the operating room and it's, it's my professional identity. I know I can, any situation, I can deal with it. I'm, I'm confident, I'm fluid. Um, I'm good at it. So I've gone from that, left that behind and gone from that to uh, teaching wellness and nutrition and meditation and those things. And I recently had a friend, I don't know if he was a friend, I can't remember, but I was in a conversation and, and telling him about what I'm doing. And he said, so, what makes you qualified to talk about nutrition? And I, my mind just went blank, you know. And in reality, I, yeah, I've I know more about nutrition than than most MDS because it's been a topic I've learned about and taught myself about. Um, but that question instantly made me think, well, maybe he's right, you know, maybe I'm a fraud. Who, who's going to listen to me? Um, and what do I have to contribute to this topic? There's PhDs and there's dietitians and um so i i definitely can relate that's a terrifying moment it feels like you're standing uh, like a wily e. coyote when you run out the cliff you know and he you, was standing there in thin air really, oh, yeah ready to fall that's the sensation
0: so yeah absolutely i mean i i definitely some of the stuff i do and my wife is a phd researcher and you know some of the stuff that i'm i'm doing is really outside the box i mean there's some things i'm telling people what we've been doing isn't right. It's not, you know, achieving this. And some of the stuff I'm doing, there is no training. There's no certification. There's no, you know, it's, it's lived experiences and putting together disparate pieces and parts to form something new. Yeah. It's, you know, if you don't have like, Oh, well I'm licensed to do this or I'm certified to do this. It's like, you know, sometimes if you're breaking new ground, like what you're talking about, you know, the new stuff that you're sharing and want to tell people about nutrition, the way they approach that, once you get pretty far outside the box, you got to kind of go with it. And and you are the expert because you're building something new. And the people that say you aren't, chances are they don't recognize how far outside the box you are. Hmm.
1: And yeah, that, that, and maintaining your confidence, knowing that just trusting your gut, like you're, you're telling me, and mm-hmm. not, not right. necessarily, you know, the certification is one way to gain confidence. But if, if that were so great, then we wouldn't be in the state we were in with nutrition. And, you know, so a lot of those right. things are, are, um, ways to create, um, status and create significance and, um, they're they're not valid. There there is one uh, one other big topic that I like to bring up, and that is the topic of time. And mm-hmm. I, what what was st- striking to me, you may have heard of Peter Attia. He's a he's an MD who has a he's got a huge following on his podcast. He basically teaches longe- mm-hmm. longevity. So his thing is genetic testing and supplements and just targeted exercise. And so his his whole shtick is lifespan. You know, creating. As long a healthy lifespan using science and medicine as you can. His latest podcast, he talked about his epiphany, which specifically was he had realized that all of his activity, all his professional activity, all the supplements, the testing, the exercise was because of his fear of dying. And he was trying Dude. to just put that wow. off. Right. So it's interesting because that's like one of the first things that occurred to me about. Peter T. And there's a lot of people, Tim Ferriss is another one. There's um, people that have tons of expertise about what supplement to take, you know, how much green tea you should be drinking and what genetic tests you should take. And, you know, the, and all of that seems to me to be in the same category of, they don't want to admit that at in the end, you know, if you live 120 years, but you live your 120 years without purpose and meaning, you may as well not have lived at all. And so all of that to me is noise if you miss the core topic of purpose meaning, which is what we've been focused on so far. So I I want you to address for a minute, this idea of making the best use of your time of your life. Um, and many of us in America, especially we we forego the present, we forego, um, meaning for some future thing that's going to happen. And I just was wondering if you could talk about that in the context of your life and what you've chosen to do.
0: Yeah, I think that you know I have, you know, as a as an athlete, I was always looking at nutrition. What's going to enhance performance? What's going to make me a little bit stronger, a little bit healthier, be able to sustain a certain effort a little bit longer? And then I look at you know I'm familiar with him and the work on longevity, and I don't, you know, I think that I am I'm I'm very lucky blessed or whatever that i i've been able to hold up and do stuff for longer than a lot of other peers um and i've got a a pretty healthy body that responds really well to what i do and i don't know if i would i've never felt the need to do something with the sole purpose of, will it help me live longer? I'm very focused on what am I doing now to live better? And I spend a lot of time going, is what I'm doing now making my life better or the life of those around me better? What, is, what am I doing this for? What is the impact that I'm, I'm having? Um, and I don't know if I really give much thought to uh, what's going to happen as far as how long am I going to live, how long do I have to do this. You know, I very much, you know, feel that if I were, if something were to happen tomorrow, am I content with what I did today? And I think that, you know, earlier in this conversation, we talked about changing your path changing your life may not be immediate it may take a while um i didn't learn how to navigate some of the stuff i do in a day it took some time and so being able to do these things yes that was in the future when i started the effort at the time but what i found really rewarding was the path of learning how to do these things and making that commitment to changing something in myself, in what I was doing to offer the world. And so even though the reward of now I can do this was in the future, working towards that was the reward in itself.
1: I wish our audience could see me nodding and smiling the whole time you're talking. <laughs> Music to my ears, yeah. what you're saying, Bruckner. That's that's fantastic. And um, I, wow. I, I think that's very, very, it's, it's something that's very inspiring to hear that someone's doing that. Um, I, I love it. Um, I, I have one last yeah. question to ask you, and this is a question I usually ask yeah. my guests, which is, what is, if you could, could crystallize the wisdom and experience that you've gained over the past few decades doing what you do, what's the one thing you would tell someone who wants to move towards something they love, something that. Is maybe out of the box, but they doubt himself or herself.
0: Say that again. What's the one thing? Yeah. If, that... you could,
1: if you could, if you could put your, your experience into one piece of advice to give to somebody who's at that point in their life where they want to move towards something else, something maybe they love more or something's more meaningful to them, but it's, um, but they doubt it. They doubt that they can do it or they doubt that it's the right move.
0: I, um, in my Earlier professional life, I was a project manager. And so I spent a lot of time, I was really good at at finding a path to accomplish something for my employer. Like he wanted to get to B and we were at A, but he had no idea how to get there. So I'm very much kind of an analytical, you know, map this out. I do this, this, and this, come up with the steps and find this. How do we get to this? How do we create this? And I think that if someone is afraid of the big change, focus on the first small change. I never looked at getting to be as this is it. It's these are the steps I need to do. I had a six month plan that then once we started on that became a 90 day plan, became a 30 day plan. And then we had a final 10 day countdown to the launch date or to the opening date and so a to b was really broken down into macro and micro cycles and i think that someone who's going i want to change this i want to become this like i would i don't know how it worked for you but while you were doing eye surgeries you were also learning and formulating your ideas around nutrition and what was right for you and then taking that to what would be right for others or what would be insightful to others. So you're working on your primary stuff at the same time, slowly collecting information and knowledge and wisdom and insight into this other thing. And with me, where it might be that I was working in this job and then 10% of my time was Pursuing this other sort of purpose or exploring this potential change as I got further and further down that path, what was just 10% of my effort now is 100% and don't get too hung up on what the change is going to look like in the end, but what might that path to the change look like just tomorrow.
1: That's fantastic. So approach the approach the big change from a project manager's viewpoint. Uh, I think you'd make a great coach, Bruckner. <laughs> like a, a life coach. <laughs>
0: well, well, you know, the other thing is I, I, I used to do, so I, I do these really long distance swims and my wife would be on the support boat. And you, and, and this is not a new analogy or cliche, but I'm standing on a shore at three o'clock in the morning and I'm gonna be swimming for 14 hours, 25 miles. I cannot think about the strokes that I'm going to take in 10 hours. I just think about the strokes I'm gonna take right now. I'm, I'm thinking about that first duck underneath the waves in the pitch black dark and those first few strokes. And when I have a low point later in the day or something, my wife will go, just take 10 more strokes. Just keep moving in that direction And then we'll revisit it. Take that next small step that moves you towards that. And let's see how we feel after that.
1: Yep. And actually my wife tells me that a similar point all the time, which is that trust that you'll know what to do when you get to that point. And
0: don't. Yeah. If you're not moving forward, if you just stop, you're not going to go anywhere. You know, at least if you're moving in a direction, you can, You never know when that movement may all of a sudden put you at a new peak with a new view of the horizon or take you around a turn with something brand new in front of you. You never know when that's going to pop up.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. And lastly, yeah. this might seem like an odd question, but it often is a wonderful one to ask, which is you're obviously a very public figure. I mean, I, I was enjoying perusing your website earlier this morning and it it's beautiful. And it, I mean, it's just full of content. I can't wait to get back to it. But what is the one, maybe one thing that people don't know about you that you're, you feel comfortable sharing?
0: You know, one thing that's important to share is, you know what? I wake up some days and I'm depressed and sad you know people look at the websites and they look at the social media posts but you know what there are times where i go i'm i'm is this is this right you know there are times where i am depressed and i'm sad and something's not working out or i got nailed by something that i thought was just a given and i work through that and i feel that too it is not all the social media, it is not all the in front of the camera, you know, upbeat and positive. Behind the camera, there's a lot of, of hard work that goes on, and i it's always there. You know, there's always suffering in life. There's always things that are going to challenge us, and there's always going to be things that take a commitment to let go of and move through and go... Yes, I'm on this path. This is going to happen. But I still have, I still struggle with the same stuff. The suffering is still there. The doubt still pops up. I just had developed a tool set to move through it better.
1: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I, I think a lot of us tend to compare the worst of ourselves to the best of other people's lives. And Mm-hmm. it's very encouraging to know that uh, that that beautiful profile that you put forth is and underneath that as a human being that's not perfect and i think people need to understand that 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 um all of us have moments of weakness and and things that maybe we're shameful about or things that we could have done better every one of us even if it doesn't seem so so thank you so much for for sharing that
0: yeah absolutely absolutely
1: Wonderful, Bruckner. I think we've covered a lot, and uh, maybe we'll we'll bring you back if you're willing, because I think we still have a lot left to cover.
0: It's been great being here. It's been great staying connected all these years. Thank you, Bruckner. And, and this is Farmer
1: Hidaji MD, signing off from the Live the Path podcast. Thank you so much for listening.